You're listening to WNHH 103.5 FMLP Community Radio. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Hagen Engel. We're digging into stories of food, radical love, and creative social justice. Many of the episodes on The Table Underground are centered around food in all its complexity. When I started this show, it was important to me to look at the full ecosystem of influences that have both created the intense racism and injustice in our food system, as well as the forces that are involved in the liberation of life. So when I say that we cover stories on food, radical love, and creative social justice, I mean that in addition to stories of people in the food system, it is also so important to hear about things like how racism impacts people's lives and how they're working to be free, to learn about indigenous people's lives and traditions, and heart-rooted stories of inspiring social justice work. A thread that runs through all of this is the focus on decolonizing our minds and living in right relationship with the earth, with ourselves, and with others. One component of this liberation work is connecting with the traditions of our ancestors and understanding the culture, religion, and practices they had. When it comes to earth-based indigenous practices of people across the globe, for the most part, these have been demonized and intentionally torn away from people. These traditions, be they rooted in European lands, the African continent, the Americas, or other places, are often seen in a negative light. They're called witchcraft or ignorant or devil worship. The truth is that these traditions are rooted in practices that are holistic in the way that they connect the spirit, the body, and the mind, as well as the relationship between the individual, the community, and the natural world. In many ways, these frameworks are models for healing what is broken in our society. Today's guest is Anru Hafkeni Onigbana Shangofemi, who is a Babalao, a priest in the Yoruba tradition of Ifa. Anru is also my love and husband, and we have both been involved in the Yoruba Orisha tradition for over 25 years. Anru's training started with a seven-year apprenticeship with two priestesses, Shangoyemi and Oshunkemi, in the Orisha tradition in Boston, as well as with Baba Ogunwande Abimbola, a leading Babalao from Nigeria, who has taught extensively around the world and in the United States. Anru was initiated as a priest in Oyo, Nigeria in 2000, And in 2008, he became a licensed clinical social worker to expand his counseling and healing skills further. In recent years, Anru has worked with many people through his practice healing and liberation counseling. He has also led Yoruba tradition-based healing work in nature and helped people to connect with their ancestors as paths for personal and communal healing. There's a growing interest of people wanting to connect with traditional African religions and practices, and the Orisha practice of the Yoruba people the Orisha tradition of the Yoruba people is one of many of these traditions in, di- in the diaspora. You may also have heard of Santaria, Lukumi from Cuba, Candomblé from Brazil, Vodun from Haiti and New Orleans, and others that draw on Yoruba traditions as well as the traditions of other peoples and cultures. For today's show, Anru is going to share an overview of the Yoruba tradition and practices and talk about some of the ways he has witnessed these traditions help with people's personal and communal healing. Anru, thank you for joining me today. <laughs> of course. So I'm wondering if you could start us off like we do with um, many uh, traditions within the Yoruba practice with a song or a prayer. And in this case, um, maybe you could start with a, a song for the ancestors. Sure, of course. Um, super happy to be here. So good to be across the mic from you. So this is an ancestor song that we, we use to, to honor where we come from and to honor the gifts that are passed on to us and to say to our ancestors that 
thank you for these gifts and these gifts, this sachet, this power, this energy, this um, inheritance we're also using today. So you just said egun a lot, the egun, the egun are the ancestors, um, and those are one primary part of the Yoruba cosmology and Yoruba mm-hmm. tradition. Can you talk a little bit about the role of the ancestors, and then we'll get into the, some of the mm. other components? Yeah. Um, so in this system and in so many um, indigenous systems, earth-based systems, we see and we know and we acknowledge that our relationship with our ancestors um, is ongoing. Um, you know, we recognize clearly that they're not here in body, um, but they live in spirit, they live in us, um, and they're a, a resource for us, and our relationship with them can continue. So whether that's for um, like our own healing or advice, you know, because they used to be human beings, and so they know the trials and the struggles and the joys of being a person. Um, and they have a different perspective, right? They have, they have a perspective of an elder, right? And so when we think that we are struggling with the most important thing in the world um, and are really caught up in it, they can also provide some perspective and some love, just like, yes, yes, I know, and I understand, and we want you to be okay, and, you know, how can we do that? Right. And traditionally, people also were burying their ancestors in their compounds where they lived mm-hmm. and then had... They're egungun masqueraders. Maybe people have seen like in pictures of kind of traditional communities where mm-hmm. they have people in masquerade going around. Can you talk about how the the role of the egungun and the ancestors um, in that practice mm. of, of kind of being the ancestors of a lineage and the ancestor yeah. ceremonies and community? So there's, so one thing is the word egungun um, means ancestors. And so that's sometimes shortened to egun. Um, and so in that song, Egun talks about our ancestors. Um, and so there's both a you know personal component to that and a communal component to ancestor reverence and ancestor worship. Um, so these are literally like, you know, my people and how can I tap into them and connect with them? And, and traditionally, you know, before cemeteries, they were buried in the compound. So literally the ancestor altar, the place that people would go to, to connect and to seek this connection relationship is in their home, in their family compound. Um, so, and there's different songs and rituals around literally remaining connected to that and, um, you know, making covenants and agreements kind of with their presence to say like, you know, I'm honoring the value of this and you know, I want your support in this and accountability to it. So not just a kind of warm, fuzzy piece, but like I'm, there's a, a bond that's important and that's vital. Um, and they also play a role in community. So very often they're the, with the same kind of accountability, um, they're the kind of watchers of the 
climate and the culture of the community and, right. and the accountability of the community. So if someone is doing something that's a little funky, um, you know, during the annual celebration, you know, there may be a, an ancestor in a gungung, um, who in this component is kind of under this masquerade, this outfit. And in that moment, the person in there is both themselves and not themselves, right? So there's a history, there's a tradition of uh, possession of, of being yourself and not being yourself, of being this force and not being that force. Right, and really being possessed by the spirit of that ancestor yes, that and that ans- lineage yes. of ancestors, which is then what is speaking and acting, yes, not that individual not who is the masquerader. Yes, and so there's training around like how, you know, how to... Kind of get out of the way, right? The ceremony and and ritual and practice on how to get out of the way so that that channel is clearer. And so what might happen is, you know, an an egungu may kind of speak either directly or indirectly about kind of the funky behavior of somebody. And so in that way, they're not, people aren't just kind of ostracized because of something out of a community, but it's really seen as like, you're still in the community and you're accountable within the community and we see what you're doing and that's not okay and this needs to change. Right, Um, right. And can I can I ask you to talk a, a little? That's a great explanation of sort of the ancestor role in community. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about how that the ancestor role in the personal relationship um, of making offerings at mm-hmm. an ancestor shrine, or mm-hmm. um, kind of how that is a helpful part of the tradition and cosmology? Yeah. So that I mean, especially here in the diaspora, right? There's not the embodied community aspect of ancestor right. worship. <laughs> and what's 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 fascinating? What's What's really powerful is in when when we were in Nigeria for for my initiation, it was the time of the Egungu festival. Mm -hmm. And what's really powerful is even with the impact and the presence of Christianity and Islam there, people um, to say they honor this is 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 minimizing it. Like it's it's so alive, um, even with people who don't call themselves traditionalists. Like it's so embedded in their culture and in their psyche that they respect this practice and they respect these egungu who are like roaming the streets and, yep. you know, there are these big festivals and sometimes they're just kind of like this big crowd of, of people with this egungu is, is running around and stopping to also to accept people's prayers mm-hmm. and to give them blessings right. um, and, and also play that role. So it's not just like this kind of spiritual police that are running around, right. but really right, right. this, this interweaving. And so here, right in the diaspora, it's much more, and my personal experience is much more around what this um, intimate kind of personal relationship with my ancestors. And so, you know, we have a, a space at home um, where and there are things on it, you know, this altar, this honoring space, and it may be made up of, well, ours is, right? It's made up of pictures of people. It's made up of things that they owned. It's made up of things that remind us of them. Um, and I've, you know, in my life and in my practice it's about going there and speaking to them and speaking to them from the heart and honoring them and even though the vast majority of my ancestors have no idea what their names were and how they lived but in this in this tradition we're still opening up to them and opening up to the ways that their blessings and presence can be felt and so it's actually a a place um not just for kind of an abstract help me with this thing but real healing um in the kind of variety of that and what's what's powerful is in this West African tradition, it has actually helped me to connect with kind of all these ancestors, those that are, um, you know, African, those that are Native American here, those that are European, those who are Christian. Um, so this indigenous technology has opened up and helped me to really internalize kind of the complexity of my ancestry and my heritage in a very different way right. than like genealogy, which I love to do, or the knowledge of, you know, being a, a black mixed race 
person in the United States. Right. And that was also my entry point into it. Like I had been involved in communities that were Orisha worshiping communities through the dance community and then in New York. And the first thing someone told me to do was set up an ancestor Mm -hmm. altar. And so it became about me connecting with my Jewish ancestors. And then also there was a learning about how I needed to um, really dig into that tradition so that I wasn't Mm -hmm. appropriating the Orisha tradition, even though understanding like the Yoruba Orisha tradition had called to me from a very young age and was also something I wanted in my life. And so that that practice, which came out of the Yoruba tradition of connecting with my ancestors, mm-hmm. kind of helped me to do that without appropriating and kind of digging deeper into my own heritage. Um, it's a great, it's a yeah. great, um, one reason I, I often work a lot with people around ancestor work and not just in the Orisha tradition is because we all have ancestors. And so it's a, it's a way to like tap into something that people already have a felt experience that like, oh yeah, this uncle or this aunt or this grandmother or someone like I have this relationship and I still feel it. Right. But kind of typically there's not a practice to stay engaged, even though people do it. Like there's a mantle and there are pictures there. They might light a candle, but to give people permission to really engage in that in a very different way is really powerful. Yeah. We could talk about this for a very long time, yes. but I'm going to move us through some of these other parts. Cause I, I think that there's such a desire for people to have just kind of this basic understanding mm-hmm. of what is the Yoruba uh, Orisha practice that obviously takes many forms through the diaspora. So we keep saying Orisha, mm-hmm. that is like the heart mm-hmm. of this right. tradition, right? So right. can you explain what are the Orisha? <laughs> yeah. So the Orisha are the divine forces that we honor and that we worship. Um, and so they manifest in many different ways. Some of them have manifested as, as people, as human beings, some as forces of nature, um, Hurricane, lightning, rivers, mountains, trees, specific ones, um, specific places, specific elements of nature. Some of them are concepts. Um, And so the Orisha are and are positive, right? So they're forces that we can appeal to and we can rely on and we can also have relationship with really so that our health and our wellness and our purpose and our destiny can really unfold both for ourselves and in relationship to all, relationship to all these seen and unseen forces and communities. So the just to exp- restate a little mm-hmm. bit, but just like <clears throat> that they're so they're essentially sometimes we describe them as divinities, mm-hmm. um, and that they are um, that they are uh, some of them are connected. So you might say like Shango as an example, being connected to thunder and lightning as mm-hmm. an element of nature, but mm-hmm. then also has um, elements of of person person characteristics mm-hmm. as they were in mm-hmm. kind of Yoruba history. Right. Um, and so then there's also colors associated with them mm-hmm. and kind of characteristics and um, different things. And so, and, and so each Orisha also has this particular like sacred literature, liturgy, song, song style, ways of worshiping, ways of connecting with them. Um, so like you said, um, practitioners or worshipers or priests and priestesses may wear certain colors that, that connect them, that represent that Orisha. Um, there's certain types of offerings, there's certain types of music and instrumentation. Um, um, and, and I actually appreciate, you know, what you, what you keep touching upon is, is the, you know, so there's a distinction with like how Orisha practice happens in the world. And so what we're really, really talking about is, you know, how it's a traditional practice based in among the Yoruba people in West Africa even as we're here and kind of translating it kind of in this diaspora, but that's, there's a distinct 
also distinct practices based um, compared to Santeria, Candomblé, right. Umbanda, et cetera, et cetera, which have, there are many similarities, but there are also some, some differences. Um, and so some people think of this as like a polytheistic system. And it's n- sort of that, because there is, Olodumare is also seen as, you know, it could be translated as like a high god. Um, however, um, we don't appeal to Olodumare because Olodumare created almost everything in the universe. So if I'm trying to be healthy and be whole and like live my life and like help me against the things that are working against me, well, Olodumare also created those things that have their own purpose that may be working against me. So it, it's, it, there's like an abstraction there. So there's no shrines, there's no particular praises or ways that we worship Olodumare, even though some people call out to that force as a way of like, let me like live in harmony and right. may I be blessed by that. And there are also Orisha who are responsible literally for the creation of human beings. Obatala with our bodies, Ogum with our bones, um, even though Olodumare kind of provides the life, the breath of life um, to us. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's sort of polytheistic E mm-hmm. um, right. in, in that aspect. And some Orisha are these forces. Mm-hmm. Um, like the wind for Oya or the thunder and lightning, as I said, uh, or have these characteristics. And some of them are really connected to a specific physical place. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So both in the largeness. So Oshun is, is kind of a, an Orisha that's very commonly known in the diaspora and is, can be worshiped as like seen as like this archetype of all rivers. Um, and Oshun is a specific river, the Oshun rivers, which runs through Oshogbo in Nigeria and has an annual festival and like thousands of people make pilgrimage there. Um, so in that way, it's very grounded to place. And there are, you know, all the Orisha kind of don't just live in Yoruba land. It's released. Earth is an Orisha. Um, Orishas are, you know, West Rock is an Orisha. Uh, East Rock is an Orisha. Sleeping Giant is an Orisha, right? So we have, and those, because of it's that place and that um, force isn't anywhere else, right? West Rock is not anywhere else, right? And so in this practice, it's also like, so we go to these places where um, to honor these forces, to honor these divinities, um, to honor and to seek connection and guidance and relationship. So it's very much grounded in place as mm-hmm. opposed to the, for all people everywhere, this is the way you do all the things for this kind of massive divinity, even as some of them do cross, right? So, you know, how a hurricane is seen, right? That's that storm winds of Oya. Um, but that's different. And Oya actually also is a river. It's the Niger River, right? So it's, it's a specific river as well. Um, so there's like specificity and this kind of largeness and things, concepts that can be generalized. Yeah. Well, and that's really part of how the Orisha survived through mm-hmm. the ens- enslavement right. of, of African people, sl- survived through the Middle Passage and into right. all of these other lands is that they really had this kind of expansiveness. The tradition and the people maintaining the tradition had this expansiveness and ability to kind of adapt it into this into this new mm-hmm. lands and new worlds they were in and, and hide it under other traditions to make mm-hmm. it seem like they were practicing Catholicism instead mm-hmm. of Orisha worship and things mm-hmm. like that. So before we move into talking about kind of what uh, the practice of, of worshiping Orisha look like, there's another component of this, which is actually, I think, the first thing that really attracted me to, after the music and the dancing mm-hmm. and, and culture, which is so amazing, uh, appealed to me. The, the other thing that, as I started really reading and, and learning and talking with people, 
the concept that really appealed to me was this concept of like a balance of positive and negative forces, Mm -hmm. but that isn't just this idea of like heaven and hell or Mm -hmm. a kind of good and evil, but that there's kind of this kind of struggle and balance, which seemed like much more how I understood the world, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's no like person who is a hundred percent good or one way Mm -hmm. that is a hundred percent good. There's like these kind of forces that push and pull and have, uh, you know, elements that are helpful or not helpful or Mm -hmm. lightness or darkness or, you know, in everything. And, and can you talk a little bit about the Ajagun and mm. about kind of how the role, what that is and, and mm. what that role is uh, in, in this tradition? Yeah. So, right, the Ajogun are considered these warlords and things like death, disease, loss, even imprisonment, curse, big trouble. I love, I love the name of that one, big trouble. Um, and, and so the Ajogun... Right. So death is going to happen to everybody. We're alive. We're going to die. That's a normal thing. So it's not to say that like somehow we're going to escape that. We're going to escape the impact of death on us. But we, we work hard, right? We, through sacrifice, through offerings, through prayer, is we want to create the peace, create the life that we're really here to live. And so there's work around making sure that, that these negative forces don't impact us and afflict us and prevent us from that goodness, right? So there's, there's this notion um, of really coming to earth with our destiny, with a potential for that, and with a purpose. And these negative forces, their purpose and destiny is to undo that. And so that's some of where that tension is. Like their nature is to like undo that work that we're trying to do. And it's very different than like a person who's annoying you. Um, there was something that I really... Um, kind of came to understand in a different way that, you know, very often there's this notion of, you know, if we just fill ourselves with love and like love our enemies, we can kind of transform them. And, and there's aspects of that, which I think are really powerful. And there's this other place of like these negative forces where if you go to them, they will eat you. And, and that also comes up because so in this practice, we develop relationships by making offerings. And so to our ancestors, to the Orisha, um, even to communities, right? Oh, I want to like have a potluck, right? You're kind of making the sacrifice and this offering to develop and deepen these relationships. And so um, Eshu, as a Orisha, um, the kind of owner of the crossroads, is the one who can kind of trans um, travel between these kind of positive and negative forces, um, is an Orisha, is one who has its uh, priest and priestesshood and liturgy, et cetera, et cetera. And we appeal to him. And we, if we are trying not to have death impact us, we don't go and make an offering to death because that's like knocking on death's door and be like, hey, please mm-hmm. don't bother me. And death will be, oh, you're here. Great. I don't have to travel anywhere. And so instead we go to Eshu and we say, Eshu, you know, this is what we're trying to do or this maybe is what come up in a reading. Um, I'm trying to avoid death or avoid illness so it doesn't negatively shorten my life. And so Eshu takes that and then goes to these Ajogun and gives it to them. And then they if it's all accepted, they leave us alone. And sometimes they, they kind of know what it is and sometimes they don't. And that's kind of Eshu's aspect also of a trickster. It's like, oh, here, you know, you look hungry. Come and sit down and have a meal. And, oh, okay, thank you very much. And, and then, you know, death may then say like, well, sorry, I have to go now. I have to go like kill this person. And Eshu would say, well, you just ate all this wonderful food. And like, how are you going to go kill the person who just made you all this wonderful food and these offerings and give it to you? And and because of the nature of the understanding and the covenant that happens with offerings, death is also accountable to that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I've already accepted this, so I can't actually then undo that. 
right? And mm-hmm. kind of betray the system in that way. Right. So for people who don't know what you're talking about, I think they might be completely lost with what you just said because you said so many things that we haven't explained yeah, what they mean yeah. yet. So, so that's just a way that like these negative forces exist and you know, we don't directly work against them. We have the intermediaries who can say like, all right, I'll take your hopes and your prayers and I'll, and I'll keep them at bay a little bit for you. Right, right. That's the short version. Sure. So, <laughs> so part of this is that um, there are these forces, these pot, mm-hmm. these forces, you can think of them as like energies if you want. And um, there are different ways that people can interact with them. So you could have, people don't need to be initiated to worship, to practice, right? right? Um, in the Yoruba tradition, you can receive these implements of the Orisha, which could be a stone that mm-hmm. has the ashe, that has the life force of that Orisha. Mm-hmm. So like, I remember learning about the stones for Shango are mm-hmm. actually these thunderstones right Right. it is the the lightning that hits the earth and melts the sand and dirt into a rock Mm -hmm. and then it obviously has the energy of that lightning force right Right. and that is then um given to you through ceremony Mm -hmm. through these offerings and prayers and it's washed with a special herb bath and a whole Mm -hmm. this whole uh very significant ceremony to receive that and you then have this implement this rock Mm -hmm that has the ashe, the life force of that orisha in an altar space, in a mm-hmm. space that you keep sacred. And so you don't have to be initiated. In the Yoruba tradition, you don't have to be initiated to actually um, receive right. that. And then those can be in people's homes, or if they go to worship at somebody like a spiritual house, there mm-hmm. may be an altar, a shrine, right. where where there may be those those implements, those icons of, of many different orisha that people can then relate to, can say prayers to. So this idea of like saying prayer to Eshu and Eshu is going to take the food and bring it to the Ajogun, right? This right. is like on a spiritual energetic mm-hmm. level right. um, that that kind of thing is happening. Yeah. And then um, the thing that I um, am interested in um, also hearing you talk about is how you interact with um, with these forces out in nature. Mm-hmm. So um, you have been going to the river. There's a river, West River, yeah, on the west side of New Haven. And that kind of making offerings and connecting with the Orisha out in nature, what mm-hmm. has that been for you and how mm. has that, that happened? Um, so for me, the, the thing that really started me on my spiritual quest was really about my experience of the divine in nature. Um, and so this has a tradition that has language, technology, structure, uh, history, learning, all of these things that's fundamental to that. I mean, this is fundamentally a, a nature-based, a nature uh, worship practice. Right? We experience the divine through these things. And even like what you're saying around like these, receiving these icons, they are both they are and they are not the Orisha, right? Because if you destroy those things, you're not actually destroying the Orisha. You'd kind of, it's like destroying your telephone, right? You haven't destroyed who you're talking to, but your way of communicating in that way is gone. Mm-hmm. So you Perfect. have to find other ways, right? right? And so going to the river, right, is going there, right? Now, if, you know, there can be this change, right? If the mountain is destroyed, like, yeah, I can't go there. That force is gone, which is why, you know, we talk about um, what's happening to the earth. Like this isn't just this kind of abstract thing, but it's, it's losing valuable a valuable relationship and connection that we have. Um, and so to me going there and, and for myself has been super powerful um, because it's the experience of the river, the complexity of it, its relationship with everything around it. It's the seeing the water come and go 
right? What am I, what do I want to bring into my life? What am I letting go of my life? What's in the turbulence in there and sitting with that and speaking to that and listening to that and being open to that um, and putting all my kind of notions of what I should or shouldn't be doing in relation to that. Like that's, you know, the experience of that is the practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's bringing things, um, you know, and there's specific things um, to bring, but there's also just like, oh, I have like this, this is flower or like something that has meaning. And I'm, I'm offering that saying, I'm giving this thing because I want this relationship to be relevant. And then I bring my touch upon the places that are relevant in me and then listen, um, you know, being outside in a thunderstorm and experiencing that is different than, oh, I'm reading this book about Shango or I'm kind of thinking about Shango right. or I'm like, saying you know at my shrine in that way and that and that to me is such a fundamental part has been transformative for me sure can you share what some of the learnings are that you have from the river like what are those (laughs) lessons that you have Mm. or that you're trying to have from being with the river Mm. um so this the the trust in the listening um the love that's there so really allowing myself to feel and experience the depth of the love and connection um and just like just for being me like i don't have to do anything i have to be a particular way um and so it's been a place that i can go to i can see um how it changes right season to season rainstorm uh snow melting things like that um something that's been really powerful is so in the place that I go to, you know, there's a lot of garbage. And so for a while I was like, I'm going to clean this up and this is going to be this like beautiful, pristine place. And and like I worked to do that. And then I found that as I was going there, that's what I was doing. Like that became the kind of focus and like, Oh, there's something way over there. How am I going to get it? And, and then I sat and I listened and I watched what was happening. And I saw that like, so right. The garbage is coming from way upstream and the river moves it. And so I can allow that to happen and I can have heartbreak around kind of what that is and the you know impact that pollution has. And I can see how like this river and the power of it is moving all of this. And I don't have to then think that my relationship is contingent upon me, quote, trying to take care of it, but I can still be with it and still kind of receive even that mystery, which is challenging as someone who's committed to justice and change and, you know, transformation to like sit and like, oh, this other force is like moving it. And for here right now, that's not what I need to, that's not, there's other things to learn that are important for me than the like, what can I do about it? Or how yeah. can I fix the thing? Or And it, it's so powerful in the work that you do, which is you're a therapist and you sit right. and you listen to people, right? <laughs> and so this lesson from the river of how to let all of these things that you're hearing yeah. that are feel. very difficult, a lot of them kind of flow yeah. Past you like a river. Yeah. You know, you're the you're rock, one of the rocks in the mm. river and the and those things are like flowing past you mm. and the I think that lesson that you don't have to hold mm-hmm. those things. So like emotionally that stuff where we hold yeah. so much, like I think that's such a beautiful lesson from the river of being reminded of this incredible yeah. natural force and how like it continues to thrive and mm-hmm. live, even with all that trash in it, even mm-hmm. with all the rocks in the way, and the bridges mm-hmm. and the people and um but just those lessons that we can take from being with natural forces, yeah. whether we call them a risha or a river or, yeah. or something else. There's a, so water moves um, and takes the path of least resistance, mm. right? And can wear away a uh, mountain, right? Can create 
the Grand Canyon. And there's this like such different power in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's this song for Oshun, which is a, um, it basically says, you know, honoring the waters of Oshun, honoring the, the torrents of Oshun and recognizing that it's the water of Oshun we use traditionally as medicine itself long before Western doctors came. Mm. Right? Just simply the water, and that would be used for babies and to help them and to soothe them because Oshun is also this, this mother energy and this mother figure. Um, and I see by you placing this bell in front of me that Let's we brought sing. that we'll sing this Oshun song. Yeah. Omi Oshun, Agbara Oshun, Loshun Finu Omare Kito Kita Otode. Omi Oshun, Agbara Oshun, Loshun Finu Omare Kito Kita Otode. Thank you. I think of this as we're um, singing together how. You know, I still practice within Judaism, which is my mm-hmm. ancestral tradition, and I um, see absolutely no conflict between these two traditions. In fact, the heart of Judaism is also an earth-based tradition, and um, and I know that's an issue for a lot of people who maybe live within the church or within mosques or other traditions. Um, just understanding kind of especially people where this is their ancestry and they feel a conflict mm-hmm. in connecting, but... Um, the Orisha tradition is really expansive. I mean, there's verses about, you know, people being needing to be both in Islam and in Orisha tradition. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. kind of inclusive in that way. So I just want to tell our listeners that they're listening to WNHH 103.5 FM LP Community Radio in New Haven. And this is The Table Underground. I'm Tegan Engel, and our guest today is Anru Hafkeni Onigbana Shangofemi, mm-hmm. my wonderful husband and really special babalao in our community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the really amazing things that I've gotten to witness is your journey in this for nearly 20, almost 20 years, like 19 years as a, mm-hmm. as a priest, as an initiated priest. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also as a clinical social worker, as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And now you certainly don't like uh, impose this tradition on anyone yeah. uh, at all. It's only if people kind of ask to be part of this, but um I have been really excited watching how you have started, people have started to ask you to do divinations for them mm-hmm. within this tradition. And maybe you could talk very briefly about, because <laughs> we don't have a lot of time, just about what divination is. Mm-hmm. And then there's some really powerful examples for people to understand kind of how does the divination practice and mm-hmm. Ifa as a sacred literature, which is, again, one of many. There's Erin mm-hmm. de Lagoon and there's other um oral tr- literature and uh, and divination systems within this practice, but Ifa is sort of one of the major ones. If you could tell us really kind of briefly what is the divination mm-hmm. practice, and then we'll talk a little bit about how that works in practice. Yes. Quick version. Yes. Um, so a divination is a spiritual reading, um, which basically um, utilizes and connects with the oral tradition. So it's an oral sacred literature. Um and with the purpose of getting messages about what's happening with a person in that moment. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at what's happening spiritually, emotionally, physically, where are they in their life? Is that in harmony with like their practice and with their purpose and their destiny? And what then are the forces that are around that can be um, utilized and brought in to help them kind of realign with that? 
and whether that's you know so specific orisha specific stories and messages will come out so the the tradition is um is made up uh, a divination this divination system has like 256 characters so to speak each one is called an odu odu and within each odu there are countless sacred verses i mean 400 to 800 and up and priests and priestesses try depending on their specialty, try to memorize or know as many of those as possible. And each one houses like a story, a client, kind of a problem and a solution uh, within each one. So in a reading, kind of you get one of those characters and Odu comes up and then you talk with the client around like, these are the messages of this particular Odu. And there's also additional blessings or a negativity that might be there. And so there's some fine tuning around what the message is. There's questions that the person can ask to get something specific if it doesn't feel kind of relevant or right on. And then not just kind of transmitting that story, but what the way I was trained and, and what I learned is you then talk with people about that meaning. How is this actually alive? You know, how are these notions and concepts from, you know, a West African tradition relevant and important and what to do, right? So there's the like, not just here's a message, right? And many other traditions or many other spiritual practices that people do, there's kind of information relayed. And this is like, here's this information and here's the things to do either within this ceremony or maybe ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that everybody who gets a divination then has, is accountable to like accept this uh, system as like their own or they have to join it or anything like that. There are many people who are not practitioners who get a reading, has some impact and they go on with their life and others want to deepen their relationship and deepen their knowledge and their learning. Yeah. That was a great explanation. And I want to also clarify that part of that is that, you have been initiated as a priest, which means that mm-hmm. in the same way as like the energy of the lightning and thunder has gone mm-hmm. into that rock, you have gone through a ceremony, a right. long, many days and, and a lot of training, a ceremony where you've received some of that ashe of Ifa right. and of Odu. Right. And so when you're doing that divination, it's it actually, you're just a conduit for these kind of energetic right. spiritual forces. Right. And when someone is receiving a divination, they're actually putting the implements, the ikin, the, the that you're using to do the divination to their head, to their ori, which right. is an orisha, which is like their their spirit, their spirit their destiny and their, their destiny. Purpose, yeah. And so there's this kind of direct spiritual connection, not just between like what the person is thinking or asking intentionally, but mm-hmm. also kind of what their spirit, their destiny, kind of their right. their energy essence of who they are is connecting with ifa, and then that's coming out through. The divination. Mm-hmm. So an, an important thing we haven't mentioned. So Ifa is an Orisha. That's the right. name of an Orisha. Right. And it's the name of this divination system. Right. So I was initiated into Ifa. Right. So my connection to Ifa, right, I had the Ashe and the energy of Ifa into me. And then that with training, I became a priest. People can be initiated without becoming priests or priestesses. Um, it's literally just a, this is what I want to do. Right. And this is how I want to train and what I want to learn. Yeah. So I have heard some amazing, first of all, I personally have witnessed just amazing things Mm -hmm. coming out of divination. Um, But I've also um, witnessed some really powerful things where people have been, um, had a divination and then there's this process of talking about the verses Mm -hmm. and kind of this healing that comes spiritual, as you're saying, there's like spiritual, physical, mental healing that can come related Mm -hmm. to a divination. And can you share a little bit, um, some of the stories I've heard you tell, um, Maybe such as there was a verse about somebody stealing mm, yeah. something. So, so like you said before, I'm very cautious about, you know, because I know the power that I have as a therapist of introducing this to anybody. And so um, 
but I've had people kind of say like, oh, I had this experience somewhere else and this like stuff, this kind of Orisha tradition came up and I'm trying to find someone who has some information. And I'm like, well, right. here I, I have this. And then we kind of work on separately outside of the therapy kind of practice to do a reading. And so here was somebody who did this reading and this verse came up, which, you know, it wasn't a feel good verse. They're not all feel good, but like, you know, as, as someone transmitting this, feels better to offer like, here are these blessings or here's this joy versus so there's this story and like someone has been stealing and they're caught and actually for things to go well, they have to return everything and they have to be, they have to like hold themselves accountable to it and they have to honor that to move forward. And so I said, I don't know if this is relevant, but like, let me tell you this. And the person was like, oh, okay, I'm, uh, not really. And then a few days went by. And so after we do a reading, we have to then make the offerings. And so before we kind of made the offerings to these forces to thank them and to kind of solidify this covenant, She's like, well, I just wanted to tell you, so that did happen. And actually, you know, I used to, I used to steal a lot and it was a part of, and, and she was able to say that she could see it as a part of kind of this addictive process where she was really dealing with feeling really awful about herself. And so she was doing a lot of shoplifting mm. and still had some of those things with her. And so I said, well, you have to return those, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's actually, so in order for you to kind of be realigned, that's part of your accountability, of, of choosing to walk this path because you can choose not to. Um, and that's part of the power of this. Like uh, the unfolding of our destiny is also a choice and it entails work. Um, and so it was something that was powerful because then that actually became something we talked about in terms of these aspects of, of addiction, which had not been a part of other work that we had done together. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I mean, it was transformative for, for her and the work that we we're doing. Um, and I think really made some positive and powerful choices that never would have come up. Um, otherwise. Yeah. There's another example um, you had told me about of um, an Odu that talked about a person coming into the backyard and trying to, mm. so, so these, just so people know, and maybe you could actually like tell us a verse that one that you have memorized after explaining this story, but these are like these sort of long oral stories mm -hmm. and there's a structure to them, but they, they have messages in them, yeah. uh, both like these kind of ethical, kind of moral messages, these mm -hmm. kind of physical messages, um, and then messages about which, which Orisha or which forces are going to help to um, heal whatever harm there may be mm -hmm. or bring about any positivity. And mm -hmm. those are the, the forces that we need to make offerings to because there's sort of this exchange, as you're saying, this covenant of, of getting this message and this help and then mm -hmm. actually giving something. It's, again, that balance of, of things. Um, right. Would you like to share that verse? around? Yeah, I can't remember the Odu. Um, so again, there's 256 Odu and then these verses within mm -hmm. them. So Ese, Ese Ifa means the verses of Ifa. Mm. And so, but there was the story part of it, I do remember. And it was the story really about this person being careful about who their friends were and that if someone who they thought was a friend was really acti acting against them, um, didn't have their best interests um, in mind. And the story was... Um, kind of this person would come to their backyard and would kind of call them out like, Oh, come out, come out. There are these things I want to do. And you know, we should do together. And a person goes outside and say, well, I have this game I want to play. And it's like, okay. So the game is, um, you know, um, you'll put me in this sack and you'll carry me kind of as far as you can. And then you put me down and then I put you in the sack and carry you as far as you can. And I put you down. We kind of do this and see kind of who can travel the furthest and kind of that's the game. And so the person's like, okay, and their friend gets in the sack and the person carries them along for a while and then puts them down. They say, okay, now we switch. And they switched. And the other person put this, my client, 
or you know in the in story, the story in right? the story right in in the sack and carried them along and then the person was like okay i'm ready to come out and what happened is the friend was actually taking them um to be an offering right to basically to be a human sacrifice to the emperor because they wanted wealth mm. um and they didn't tell their friend and so they're willing to sacrifice their friend for their own wealth right and so the story was like you know be careful of this and it was the person's in the story their ancestors kind of tripped tripped this person up and got them out of the sack mm. um uh, without the other person knowing right and so i told this to the client and my client was like oh my god like there's this person who's my friend who literally drives in the driveway comes into my backyard and calls me out and he calls me to go to the casino and to gamble and this person is actually somebody who's supposed to be supporting me in my sobriety and to um to help me and is actually helping is actually then fostering this other aspect of addiction and loss and is putting me in danger and hadn't seen it in that way. And so they really started to change like the role that this person played. Like I have to stop doing this. And I didn't even really see how much kind of gambling was, was an addiction mm-hmm. um, as well. Right. And it was, it was just, that was again, like here's this message and like, you don't, I don't know how it's going to land. Right. I don't know. I didn't know that at all about this person. Um, and to see things like that so clearly and so um, kind of line up in that way, um, was also just really powerful for me, right? Because this isn't like me, this isn't a system that's about me being inspired to tell stories. Right. The 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 practice is um, kind of uh, using something and then the symbol comes up and I'm not in control of that. And then each each Odu, each symbol has all this literature in it. Um, so it's not about ins- being inspired. It's like, oh, this comes up and these are the verses connected to it. And yeah. if the same one comes up, it's the same verses, but even that lands differently. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is a powerful difference. Right. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, what I'm realizing as I'm listening to you is one of the things that is so different about this tradition and, and other traditions related mm-hmm. to it is that there is this acknowledgement that there are things that we don't have control over and are not, don't understand. There is magic. There is mysticism. There mm-hmm. is, um, there are these life forces mm-hmm. that are very real and we can't control all of them or understand all of them. And there is a system for interacting with and understanding them and trying to live in harmony with them. Mm -hmm. Right. There's like systems developed on many levels. There's this oral tradition. There are practices. There are cult, like the culture is sort of built around that framework. And I think that that can be a very difficult thing for people in our society who, where that is really um, not acknowledged and, and, um, and often demonized as, as like witchcraft and these things where, whereas like you could come up with hundreds of examples of just like scientific Mm -hmm explanations of things that are hard to understand right hard mm-hmm. to explain and so um this is a tradition then rather just saying like oh those don't things don't exist right they're right. saying like these things happen and are real and, and here's a way of interacting and, and dealing with them and the point is so like divination is also like its own assessment right so it's it's like you know because there may be these spiritual things that are happening or relational things and there may be physical things like where mm-hmm. illness is and so it's like in it might be like oh here's this plant medicine to take you know like you take this and you kind of calm down right. and, and there might be things healing. that are about like prayer or there are things that are about behavior changes right. um and ultimately it's really about living in a good relationship fulfilling your destiny being connected to other people and like having a good life like it's not about i mean just like any tradition there are people who are in it that are around kind of manipulation of power about coercion about all kinds of things and that exists in this tradition but there's also like it's also about love. It's also about balance. It's also about like, how do we live? How do, how can I be really a full human being in the way that like I'm here and I'm meant to do certain things just like you're here and meant to do other things. And, 
Harry's here and meant to do even other things still. And, you know, we all have like these different places in our life. And it's not about the one right way. It's right. the, in this moment, this is the right way to fine tune it, um, which is very different than the like, in all ways, be all this way. Sometimes it's about singing joy. Sometimes it's about being like really direct and brutally honest. Sometimes it's about certain kind of flexibility. Sometimes it's about like creativity or like expressing your rage and expressing your power. And other times it's like cool and calm and gentle. And that's both different with different Orisha, but also different moments of our lives. Cause that's how we navigate. Like life has changed. And so we have to do things to like create the peace and to create the direction and harmony. Not that we are creating that, but how do we join with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know something that people ask you a lot is kind of how to get started. And we just have a, a minute or so left, but I think um, maybe we can put up on my website on the tableunderground.com just some simple things around like um, how people could set up an ancestor altar, mm-hmm. for example, or go out into nature and, and mm-hmm. offer some prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that process of, of learning to pray in your own words about kind of connecting with your heart and and being vulnerable, even just with yourself is like a really powerful healing tool. I think it's not about the, the power of prayer is not about like, here's the right way or here's like the all knowing all powerful ancestors or uh, the Orisha have to talk this way, but like what we need. And um, sometimes when I'm talking to people about ancestor worship, it's like, Oh, so is there a place in nature you like to go? So go there and like bring some flowers or something and like talk to this person. Right. Right. And tell them like what's going on or tell them what you need or tell them about the connection, um, what you're yearning for in that way. And it's the same thing in going to the Orisha. Um, we do the same thing in the same way. Yeah. Wonderful. So people can check you out at healing and liberation counseling dot. No, just healing and liberation. Oh, sorry. Healing and liberation dot com. Pra- yeah, my, my business is healing and liberation counseling. So you can look that up or just go healing and liberation dot com. Emails there. Phone numbers there. Yes. And I will list all this up on the table underground. And I was also hoping to ask you to um, share a verse, but we may be out of time. Do you have a a short one you want to share? Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's this verse of Osa, the brightly shining one. Uh, Ifa, priest of the earth, performed Ifa divination for the earth. And the earth was told to make a sacrifice to protect her from the Ajogun instead of making sacrifices to be wealthy. And we are certainly alive, and we are praying that as long as we remain on the earth, that the earth may never be destroyed. Ashe. Ashe. So that's a verse from Osameji, one of the 256 Odu. Wonderful. Thank you, Anru, so mm. much. Such an honor. Thank you, sweetie. See you later. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to The Table Underground. I'm Tegan Engel, and this is WNHH 103.5 FM LP. You can follow us on our website, on podcast, and all of the social medias.